Hello and welcome to my Camino, the podcast. This is a weekly discussion about the Camino de Santiago or the Way of St. James. I'm Dan Mullins. People who walk the Camino are pilgrims. The ultimate goal is to arrive at the remains of Christ's Apostle St. James in the cathedral at the Spanish city of Santiago de Compostela. It's not easy being a pilgrim. You walk a long way. The most popular route is what's called the Camino Francaise. It's 500 miles or almost 800 kilometers. You live sparsely, often sharing sleeping quarters with dozens of other people. You carry a light backpack because you don't need to carry much more. The trail winds its way through small villages along the way. You need to be patient, a good listener, and you need to be open to accepting everything your pilgrimage is telling you. It was the American theologian Richard R. Nevor who said, Pilgrims are poets who create by taking journeys. The Camino Francaise begins in saint jean pied de port on the French side of the Pyrenees. I walked my second Camino in 2017 and arrived in saint jean around lunchtime. I'd spent a week walking from Lourdes in France. Walking down the street in saint jean I was stopped by a man who said, Hey, are you Dan Mullins? Now, I'm not used to being stopped in the street in the middle of Europe. Michael and Virginia Williamson had listened to the podcast preparing for their Camino. We had dinner that night and I headed off the next day. They stayed an extra night and we've stayed in touch since. I've followed their journey via the Facebook page, The Willows, Camino and Beyond. The Australian pilgrims Virginia and Michael Williamson are on the line from just outside Santiago de Compostela. Welcome, pilgrims. Hi, Dan. Hi, Dan. It's almost exactly 12 months since we had dinner that night. Now, I'm going to ask you first, Virginia, tell me about your year of travel. Well, Dan, it's been a, a pretty good year, but it didn't come about sort of, you know, just overnight. Uh, over several years, Michael and I have been travelling to Europe every year and we found that when we got home, it was not quite enough for us. And uh, so we just wanted to stay longer and longer every time. But we had jobs to go back to and uh, you can't just go off forever. And at the same time, we were looking at uh, minimising our luggage and started taking carry-on only and becoming more nimble travellers. Uh, we started minimalising stuff around the home so that we could perhaps uh, get away more often and uh, not have so much to leave behind. At the same time, um, I'd been reading a book by Rolf Potts called Vagabonding about life on the road and it was very, very uh, charming and uh, it really spoke to me. Around that time also uh, my brother died. He was just 54 before having oh. the chance to retire, fulfil his dreams. And I, I think, um, yeah, 54. And um, I think all that um, sort of stars aligned um, to make us realise that we wanted to do something, we want to do something special in the way of travel over a much longer period of time. And that really morphed into a plan, which um, became a two-year plan that involved um, streamlining a lot of aspects of our lives um, minimalising, um, you know, I guess a lot of our possessions and just what we had and being able to, um, we had two boys living at home, we had to get them self-sufficient. They're in their 20s, mind you, so probably 
more men than boys, get them so they could stand on their own two feet, so that we could actually escape for, for 12 months. And, um, yeah, so it, was, it took a lot of planning. So you, when I met you, you were on the Camino. Was that your first Camino? It was. That, um, that was the first time we'd got away and uh, the first six weeks we're going to be walking the Camino. Originally, Dan to start the 12 months in January 2018, but um, our friend Rita actually reached out to Virginia um, in January 2017 and said... Um, well, I'll let you yeah, take it, Jim. Sure. So you know Rita, Dan. You uh, met Rita on your Camino as well. And uh, she asked if I'd be interested in going over and walking the Camino Frances with her. And uh, I jumped at the chance I was going to do that. I didn't need to think about it for more than two seconds. Uh, the only complication was that it meant that I would have to uh, take six weeks for my job go back for about six weeks and then ask for this 12 months off. And uh, I didn't think that was really going to work for my employer. Um, Michael also being the great planner uh, in our family, he was helping us, you know, look at options, what we could do if we finished early, we could, you know, go down to Portugal. And I could see he was just getting more and more excited by the minute. And uh, before we knew it, he said, damn it, I'm coming too. So uh, that's how we ended up doing the Camino and we brought our plans for the 12 months of travel forward to start um, at the end of August 2017. Mind you, our boys were not too impressed, Dan, because um, that shortened their runway by about uh, four months to actually get themselves ready and get out of the house. <laughs> so, um, But, um, look, it just meant the stars aligned to, to head off there at the end of August and um, it turned out to be a fantastic time of year to go and hit the Camino as um, stage one of our year of travel. It, it wasn't... Uh you know, that easy to do. We had to let go of a lot of fear. I think uh, in our uh, early 50s, walking away from jobs is quite a big thing, as Michael actually resigned from his job. And uh, our friends thought we were pretty crazy because they thought we'd come back to nothing when we finished travelling. But uh, we just bit the bullet and did it, and it's been worth it in every way. Yeah. So, so let me then ask you, uh, you finished in Santiago de Compostela about the same time or just a little bit after me, October last year, so that's October 2017. How has it impacted your lives uh, now that you're back? And I know that you're, you're on the Camino right now, so it's, it's lured you back again. But let me just ask you about day-to-day -day life. You said that you had reduced and minimalised before you went, so you were kind of preparing for a vagabond's life. How now is it that you've walked the Camino? How has it manifested in your life? I think um, it really prepared us for um, the rest of the rest of our travel lives over the course of that year. So, if you think about um, life on the Camino, it's um, it's taking one day at a time, taking things as they come, having sometimes reduced expectations. Um, being able to just get up and go every day and experience new things. Um, I, I think it's you to be more flexible in your day-to-day -day lives, be more accepting of other people, sometimes, yeah, reducing your expectation. And to us, doing that five weeks on the Camino, being on the road every single day without a fixed plan, without a fixed bunch of accommodation to go to and having to find somewhere to sleep every night, just really prepared us for um, really taking on anything from a travel perspective. 
And I think um, you really gained some independent skills, do you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, Michael and I have been together since I was a teenager <laughs> and uh, he's pretty good at taking good care of uh, all our plans and uh, I, I've never really had to plan things or execute things. I just go along for the ride very happily. Uh, so when we were on the uh, Camino Frances, I developed plantar fasciitis and it got worse and worse. And so by the time we got to carry on, I could not put my foot on the ground. I was in agony. And uh, so we came up with a plan that uh, I would go on to Leon. On a bus? Yeah. And let me tell you, I thought I was catching a bus, but it turned out to be more like a great big public ambulance service for Inter Camino. <laughs> and everyone was limping onto that bus. And I got to Leon. Michael continued to walk across the Meseta. And um, I found myself in a, in a foreign city, injured by myself for three days and... Uh, I, I guess I realised that I had it in me to, to do that, to look after myself, and I had to prepare uh, appointments with a massage therapist who didn't speak English and with a podiatrist that didn't speak English, and uh, I, I was pretty surprised at myself, at my resourcefulness, um, at being able to be alone and to, uh, and to quite enjoy it. So yeah, that and, uh, prepared me for what was to come later on in the year. And I think for me, Dan, I, I hot-footed across the, the Meseta and it was great that period of time. I um, caught up with another guy who became a good walking buddy, a um, guy called John Rushforth, got to walk with him and hear his story, which was fantastic and all the rest. And um, I think... Um, it was, it was great for Virginia at that particular time because I was worried about her being in Lyon. And then by, by that first night, she'd sent me pictures across where she'd, um, she'd gone to the service at the cathedral there. She'd met up with some other pilgrims. She'd gone out to dinner with them. She's sending me pictures. <laughs> I thought, oh, wow, look at this. And so it, it really... Um, that really built a platform of independence to, to be able to take anything on, and I think that's a lot of what the Camino um, brings to people who embrace it. It's interesting you should say that because, Virginia, you then, uh, in your year of travel, you snuck off for a little sojourn on your own, didn't you, in the middle of all of this? And this is, and it's part, I suppose it's part of the the the... Uh, the experience in Leon and looking after yourself and perhaps stepping out of Michael's grip for a little while that enabled you to go on that trip on your own. <laughs> his grip. She it's, got his, a... it's, not, it's a loving embrace, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> she got off leash. <laughs> well, you know, um, Michael's my best friend and uh, we plan to do all this travel together. But uh, when we finished... Uh, Camino, when we got to Santiago, we uh, travelled down to Valencia and uh, Porto and Lisbon. And uh, during the Camino, someone had told us about the island of Madeira, so we went there. And uh, there's some terrific walks called Levada walks, which are very high, steep, narrow walks. So we continued yeah. to walk there. And after that, we went on to Morocco. Um, and while we were on Morocco, we got a shock phone call that we were needed urgently at home. So we had to return to Sydney. Yeah, so we were in uh, Marrakesh and we were having a great time. The phone rang about 10.30 in the morning and within about two hours we were on a plane back to, uh, back to Sydney. And, um, yeah, it was, 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 I guess, a fairly upsetting period, but, but we were needed at home and that was that. So 
So we headed back home and after assessing things when we got back home, worked out that um, we probably needed to make some changes to our plans going forward. So what resulted there was that um, we, we had um, we had one-way tickets booked to Costa Rica on the 15th of January 2018. So we decided that um, one of us could go and the other one uh, needed to stay at home. And so that was Virginia. So she headed off to um, uh, Costa Rica um, on a one-way ticket on her own without any real fixed fixed itinerary as to what was going to happen and um, that was an incredible experience for her and I'll let you take it up there. And I think it was only possible for me because of my experience uh, walking the Camino. Um, So, of of course, like everyone who walks, we've become enamoured with Spain. So the first thing I did when I got to Central America was to go to a residential uh, Spanish-speaking school and uh, I did that and I travelled through uh, five countries in Central America before coming home. Yeah. Uh, and it was amazing the confidence that I had and it was just from that one experience of finding myself in Leon alone and uh, since then I've been back home. We were home uh, for a little while and then I headed off to India. So, no, Dan, you, no, you went to South America. Uh, in South, yep, went to Peru uh, and then went to India and Nepal most recently just before coming back here, this time with Michael who was able to uh, take some leave from work and we decided to come and walk this time from Porto to Santiago. So it's been a pretty big year. And you're arriving in Santiago tomorrow. How exciting. I'm just so delighted for the pair of you. You know, what what, what do your friends and family make of all of this? Oh, that's a good question, Dan. I think, um, look, I, I think... There's some aspect of them thinking we're a little bit crazy and why would we do this sort of travel? Like we sometimes put up um, photos on our Facebook page of where we're staying in, um, you know, what it's like in the albergue accommodation. Sometimes it's quite a snug fit in some of those rooms and I think they see us uh, doing this sort of stuff that they'd expect um, backpackers who are maybe 18 or 20 to do and they say, why the hell would they be doing that? But then they see the pictures and hear the stories of some of the experiences that we've had along the way, some of the people that we've met, some of the sites that we've seen, and I think they just think it's amazing. But um, for, for a lot of people, it's not for them doing that sort of travel, and that, that's fine. But I think other people are really inspired by hearing the stories of people like yourself, Dan, and, and, and us and other people who've done the Camino, that that's really an inspiring way to to see a great part of the world. Let me ask you first, Virginia, and I've asked a lot of my guests this, what's the most important thing we learn as pilgrims? That we walk alone. Uh, so I'm walking with Michael now, but we walk at different paces and no one can walk for me. So I, I think each one of us walks own. Camino, that's probably what it is. You're, you're on your own, even though you're surrounded by people at times. Uh, it's, it's your own journey. Michael, what's the most important thing we learn as pilgrims? I think we learn to be resourceful. You're not always in a situation, Dan, where you've got a button or 
um, things just come together as they ideally would. Sometimes you might be injured in a place where you don't have internet or something like that. Anything can happen that I mean you, you need to change your plans at the drop of a hat or change your expectations at the drop of a hat. And I think what, what I really learned is to be able to, to deal with that and to um, be a lot more flexible in just the outlook and, and get through day-to-day things on solutions. And that's been a great experience. You know, you mentioned, Michael, probably two or three times in that very first, um, when I first asked about your year of, of travel, you said, oh, it's all about reduced expectations. What do you mean by that? Um, look, I, I think um, I, I think sometimes, like for for example, we're vegetarians. Then, and ideally, we we have a vegetarian diet, and um, that's not something that's all that common in Spain. So, in terms of um, getting the food, same sort of food that you might have. At- home, they're quite different. The level of accommodation um, is often quite different. So so we've been staying in some albergues along the way at the moment. Um, some of them are donativos. There's some great donativos in um, Portugal where you pay a five-euro donation to stay there and you get accommodation and all the rest to go, to go with that. And some of those, um, we, we've had about three in a row where uh, it was like, the old dormitory, uh, dare I say, prison-type showers where you've just got a big open uh, bathroom for the men uh, and for the women, I guess. I didn't go in the women, so where it's just the showers on the barrier in between and you're doing uh, all the boys shower together, which is a bit different. And so I think that's just just accepting that and being happy to, to go with that type of thing is for a lot of people, particularly... In, in Australia, where we have a very high standard of living, that is quite different. And that's that's the sort of thing I'm talking about with expectations, being able to take things as they are and as they come. So let me ask you then, with those reduced expectations, how do you cope walking as a couple? Um, it's challenges. Is, is it smooth sailing? Very smooth sailing. Uh, Michael's an extremely fast walker, and I'm a pretty slow walker and we know how important it is to walk at your own pace uh, just for you know reducing injury so we start the day together we catch up together you know along the way yeah uh, michael waits at the top of hills he might get a nice 20 or 30 minute break <laughs> waiting for me to make it to the top um and we spend as much time as we can together but we don't walk together and uh and that seems to be working really well for us how busy was the Camino Portuguese this last month? Yeah, so I, I think, um, Dan, it, it's been interesting. We started originally doing the coastal route, which was um, our plan. We liked the look of that. And then we'd heard how great the central route was as well. So we, we've actually done a bit of a hybrid that's really lengthened the trip. So we've been walking for about, I think, about 19 days now. So we, we originally started the coastal route and walked um, for four days, about just over 100 k's from Porto up to Camina on the, the Mino River. Um, 
which which was great. And a lot of that walk is along right along the beachfront on boardwalks and, and other pathways before it heads up into the mountains as you go further north. And I think that was very different from the Camino Francis from our experience last year because there's there's less pilgrims, there's less albergues, there's probably a bit less interaction with pilgrims and uh, there's a bit less of a spiritual feel to it, although the, um, the, the, the landscape and the beauty of the place and the beauty of the walk is, is all there. So, so we love that. We, we actually then got the train back down through the centre of Portugal down to a place called Barcelos, which is back down at the Porto end, and then walked the, um, the central route up from there. And we, we observed straight away that in doing that, um, the central route, I think, is the more traditional route, and there's a lot more of the feel of the Camino Francis there. There's a lot more pilgrims once you get down there. Um, there's a lot more albergues, and the traditional albergue cool life is a lot more apparent on that trail. And when you get up, um, probably, I don't know what it was, maybe four or five days into that, you get to a place called Tui or Valencia, which is on the border, um, which is where the coastal route and the central route um, actually merge into one. And you find that um, there's a lot more pilgrims there. A lot of people actually start it from that point and suddenly it does get very busy going, going forward from that. We actually chose to do... Um, uh, one of one of um, Briley's variants um, along the track. So we, there's there's a spot you come to just out of Pontevedra, where you can uh, hang a left and do what they call the the variante espiritual. I think I'm not sure if I got that. Spiritual variant. Yeah, and that that takes you off. Um, it's it's a it's a travel. It's a it's a road not that well travelled, but it's probably one of the most beautiful parts of either Camino and um, we just actually finished that uh, a day or two ago and that's like a three-day three-day trail up through the mountains you walk part of that is called the um, the path of stone and water where you walk through um, along this mountain stream where there's all these stone mills that um, were used back in the Middle Ages that are, that are now just relics and you're walking along, it's stinking hot, but you're walking under these trees along this path um, by this stream and that goes for many, many kilometres and the, that, that actual route culminates in a, in a boat ride out of a place called, I'm just trying to remember the name of it, Villanova de Orosa, I think. I think I got that right. And um, tradition has it that um, St James' body was was taken by boat from Villanova through to uh, Padron as part of the, taking his remains through to San Diego, and that boat ride is part of it. So, so we actually did that boat ride, which was pretty cool, and it takes you through this misty river and there's 12 stone crosses along the way, which it out to us and, and that really had a quite a spiritual thing to us and um, that brought us out of Padre where we arrived yeah, two days ago. So so that was a really special 
Well, thing and thing about doing the Portuguese, I'd really encourage you to to look at doing that um, variante as spiritual. It's it's probably been a real highlight of both Caminos that that we've done. So so Dan, that's a very long answer. No, no. <laughs> to a short question. No, 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 absolutely not. No, I, I I'm fascinated, and 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 I'm sure my listeners would be delighted to hear that. Because when I spoke to Nancy Fry, the uh, American um, anthropologist who's now based in Spain, she talked about Padron and the stone boat and indeed the the mooring stone, as I understand it, Nancy certainly told me, the the mooring stone for the boat is still there. Did you see it? No, didn't see that. Didn't didn't actually see that bit. So the... um, the the um, the driver of the boat gave a bit of a commentary as he he went took us through, but but it was more Spanish than English, sorry, very Spinglish. <laughs> <That's> Spanish. Spanish. <laughs> um, so so we, we we didn't pick up at all, even despite Virginia's Spanish classes, we missed uh, some of that. But um, we certainly saw all these ancient. Um, Ancient crosses, which were you know, the twelve of them, that were very symbolic, and it was, it was such a mystical experience. We actually left at ten o'clock in the morning, um, and it was just mist across the river, and it was quite beautiful. And you're just going along there in silence, just with this occasional commentary, just seeing these crosses on the side of the banks coming out of the mist and, and that sort of thing and just being able to sit there on that boat and just contemplate that experience that we're having was, was actually and it's been a real highlight of this Portuguese Camino for us. How wonderful. I, I, it's, it's not a walk that I have really got in my to-do list but now just hearing you talking about it, I, I have to do it. I have to do it. So, so you're about a day out mm. of Santiago um, now. Where are you? So, so oh, actually, you... we're about twelve kilometres out. So we'll be there quite soon, Dan. After we finish speaking with you, we'll be there today. And uh, yeah, yeah, about twelve k's. But I think there's a mountain to get over. Yeah, it's a place called um, Tio. It's it's a beautiful. So it was a really humid day yesterday, Dan. So probably the most humid day that we've had. So. High twenties, I'd say, and we were we were pretty pooped by early afternoon, and um, we just came across this little. Um, we've been staying mainly in albergues, but we came across this little casa rural at this place called uh, Tias, just surrounded by oak trees. It's actually, absolutely beautiful, and it's like a stone cottage where we stayed. We had dinner last night. There was wonderful hosts here, and um, we, we thought we'd just recoup our batteries. We've got a. We've got a couple of days uh, up our sleeve when we get back there, so to San Diego. So, um, so we've just been recharging our batteries, and we'll be we'll be heading off this morning to uh, tackle that last leg. And we're really looking forward to seeing um, the cathedral at Santiago without the scaffolding, which, uh, as you'll remember from last year, was quite, was quite apparent at the front of the church. Yeah, we call it the Mullins Curse. No matter where we go in the world, me, <laughs> me and my family, right? Everything is covered in scaffolding. You go to Notre Dame, it's got scaffolding there. Go to see Big Ben, it's yeah. scaffold, right? And I get to the front of the cathedral in Santiago on my Camino, the bloody thing's covered in scaffold. But, but you know... Well, you Everywhere you go, they're rebuilding, it's good. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's like Dan the Builder. 
So, so just just tell my <laughs> listeners, how does um, the Portuguese compare with the Francais in terms of difficulties, Virginia, like ups, ups and ups and downs, and 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 uh, and infrastructure? Right. Um, I don't think it's quite as tough. Uh, I guess once you've made it over the Pyrenees, you can walk anywhere. Um, there, there are some hills, but they're they're really really manageable. Um, yeah, I would say I, I found it a little bit tougher this time, but I hadn't really done any preparation, so I hadn't uh, been walking all that much. So I've come over here thinking that I would uh, just live off the back of last year's Camino, that I'd just pick up where I left off, and so I have found it a little bit tougher this year. Yeah, I'd say, um, Dan, just in terms of infrastructure, there's um, not quite as many albergues. It's probably not quite as well set up as the Francis, because as, as you know, when you're doing the Francis, most of those towns along the way are Camino towns. The whole economy and the whole infrastructure of the towns built around supporting the Camino. So that's, that's not the case through Portugal, through, through most of it. So it's a bit of a sideline and um, people, there's, there's often another industry in town or other industries and um, the Camino is a little bit incidental to it all. Um, so, so it's it's got a bit of a different feel to it because there's not quite as many pilgrims, and it's just not all designed around the the pilgrim, which which is great. So it's been a been quite a different experience. Let me ask you a couple of questions um, as pilgrims, and you've now walked two caminos in twelve months, and you've done quite a lot of travelling, in particular you, Virginia. Uh, what's the most yeah. important thing to pack? Toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, toilet paper. Now, Michael, what about shoes? What? what about shoes? Let me ask you, what, what shoes do you guys wear? Yeah, so, so, so Dan, we've, um, we, we didn't go for the big boots, so we've actually um, just gone for the, um, the Brooks runners, like a trail runner, really lightweight trail runner, and they've been absolutely perfect. Um, so How? so I, I think we took a bit of a... We took a bit of a punt on dry weather, so we, we haven't gone for the Gore-Tex shoes, which we did wear on the Francis, but on the Portuguese area, we've gone for these lightweight runners, and they've been, they've been absolutely fantastic. Do you carry sticks? I do. Yeah. I, I wouldn't walk without them. I, I don't go for the sticks myself, but they've, they're great for Virginia. We... We actually just picked up a pair for her when we got here. They were only about twenty euro in, I think, Barcelos or somewhere. Yeah, but uh, did, it's definitely on rocky downhills. I, I wouldn't walk without them. But Virginia, did you carry them on the Camino Frances last year? I picked them up uh, in Logroño. Yeah, I think. Uh, yes, uh, yeah, I was encouraged <laughs> by a, another friend to uh, to walk with them, and I picked up some, and uh, they made a big difference, especially as I was uh, struggling with the uh, plantar fasciitis. Yeah, of course, and that's uh, that, yeah, yeah, and one of those things that about the plantar fasciitis is the inability to roll the bottom, roll your foot, isn't it? It's it's, it's a tightening of the under, yes. so your foot, it's the arch of the foot, isn't it? That's right, yeah. So, yeah, so I think... Um, you, you go, go on, Dan, go, sorry. No, no, I was, I was just going to say, 
to, to Virginia, um, were you able to get it treated sufficiently in Leon that you were able to finish then last year? I had a couple of appointments with a massage therapist. I also went to a podiatrist and had a steroid injection into my foot, which was not a pleasant experience. But uh, within about two days, I was totally pain-free, and really that's continued to be the case. So um, uh, I was thrilled with that. But uh, So Michael had turned up in Leon just before my appointment with the podiatrist and uh, I asked, I said, I know I've got this appointment, but would you mind just having a look at my husband's foot because he had a little blood blister and a black toenail. And before we knew it, the guy had uh, just whipped out the scalpel, cut a chunk out of Michael's heel, and then with pliers removed his toenail. So Michael ended up in a much worse <laughs> state than me. My God, I, I've never felt pain like it because he just whipped me on the chair. I had a look at this. I just had one of those black toenails and it, it was bulging up a little bit of like a what. I didn't think it was too bad, but he said, no, no, we've got to whip this out. He didn't speak any English, so his receptionist, I think, conveyed that to me. And then next thing, he's got these things that look like pliers, and he just, (laughs) with a quick yank from the wrist, my toenail was gone. (laughs) And then, so so then he had to put this massive bandage on my my second toe, the toe next to your big toe, and he he said... um, needed to sort of give it another day before we could get socks on. So I'm walking around Leon on our free day with a pair of thongs on and this bandage like half the size of a tennis ball on my on my second toe. <laughs> it's, that's classy, man. That's classy. But, uh, it was such a shock. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, so, yeah. So, Virginia, you got the steroid injection, so that means you, you won't be able to compete in the Olympics now. You must be devastated. <laughs> yeah, but you should see my muscles. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I, I want it to... It was worth it. Yeah, I'll bet, I'll bet. What about... Okay, so that's... You, you, you've got busted black toes and you've got all sorts of uh, <laughs> problems with the feet. Michael, Virginia said before that you're a real preparer, somebody who does a lot of preparation. When you walk the Camino... Frances and now the Portuguese. Are you booking ahead or have you booked ahead from Australia? Do you know where you're going to stay? Are you spreadsheet pilgrims? No, we're not not at not at all. Dan, probably um probably our planning's more the the big picture as to like with this Portuguese, we decided, yeah, let's do the coast and then come back and do the central. Like that was really the extent of it. And I I think um we, we like the flexibility. Like tonight, we um, we haven't booked this place and we, we like to just work it out as we go along because, as, as you know, Dan, from your own walking, you can't um, predict what the weather's going to be like, what sort of shape you're going to be in, what you're going to encounter along the way. And it's really great to have that flexibility of deciding on the day where you're going to stay day and who you're walking with you might want to actually stay where someone you've met is staying and catch up with them or or whatever so that's really important to me and I, I think it's a real contrast because we've met so many people along the way who've um, locked themselves into um, predefined plans that they've booked on 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 booking sites before they've left home so that they they know every every night of the way where they're staying what they're doing and um 
I've met people along the way and I've told them about this like very anti-spiritual that I was telling you about before this detour and how great it was and, and stuff like that. And a lot of people, they, they can't do anything like that along the way because they're already locked into other accommodation. Um, but for a lot of people that gives them some comfort knowing that they've got something prepared for the end of the day and they don't need to worry about what time they turn up because they know they've got a bed. So, you know, everyone's different. Yeah, that's that's fair to say too. I, I remember I don't like talking about myself on these podcasts, but when I hurt my ankle in Leon uh, and we walked the next day, uh, I thought we were walking to, I can't remember where we were walking to, uh, but we only lasted about two or so hours and we had to stop. I couldn't walk any further. And it meant that we stayed in this little tiny albergue in the middle of nowhere and it was one of the best nights we had. Because we were walking mm-hmm. really on intuition and our circumstances were dictating to us where we were staying. And I think that's one of the great things about being a pilgrim is the freedom that it affords you, if you like. And particularly the Camino Francaise, where there are places really within stone's throw pretty much all the way along. It's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to just say, you know what, I'm going to stay here. Yep. Yeah, that, that, that is a great thing. Just while we were talking about Leon, I just thought of something else which, um, which was interesting, Dan. We, um, on the way into Leon, so Virginia was ahead of me in Leon getting treated for this stuff and I was on the track and I'd met up with a few guys along the way and um, we decided that um, we should all try and have a catch-up um, when we get together in Lyon, and we, there was maybe uh, four or five of us thought we'll we'll all meet up at this Irish pub in Lyon and have a bit of a get together and just put the word out to anyone else that you're talking to about it. And was going to be on this, you know, in a couple of days' time at six o'clock. And so um, we we were uh, that was the day we'd been to this podiatrist. So I got this massive bandage. We're sort of hobbling around a little bit in Leon. So we're a little bit late getting to this Irish pub where I was meeting up with these couple of guys. Anyway, we turn up there at six o'clock because most of these places are pretty dead at six o'clock. They don't sort of come to life till later. And we walked up the street to this Irish pub and there's about a hundred people in, in this pub. It is packed. And this is all from this word of mouth on the trail a couple of days before amongst, you know, really the English speakers. And they're all there. And we saw all these people that we caught up with along the way. It was a fantastic night. So that just gives you another insight to... Um, some of the things, as you know, Dan, that um, you encounter along the way. And the word is, that's the great thing. Um, When someone says to you, oh, we're all meeting up here, or we're all meeting up there. And when you, you do all meet up, it's just such a wonderful, wonderful thing. Everybody talking and sharing and, and, you know, where are you from and introducing you to this person and that person. That's one of the great the great things about the Camino. In fact, that leads perfectly into my next question because I was going to ask you, do you still keep in contact with the people that you met on that first Camino last year? Yeah, quite, quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, mainly through Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, so, so we made some, um, some great friendships along the way and I think um, it's it's a great connection between people that shared experience that you have along the way and even meeting other people subsequently who, who've been on the way. It's just uh, It just gives you a special connection with those people because you've 
you both experience something that's really, really wonderful and really special. Virginia, I'm going to ask you a very simple question. Walking, what is the attraction? <laughs> I don't know that there is. <laughs> um, no, actually, for me, it's experiencing the landscape in, in, in walking time uh, it gives you a real chance to absorb it. And I love the feeling to see either a village or just the spire of a church up in the distance and know that at some time in the next half hour or an hour, I'm going to be there in that village or in front of that church and I've had time to contemplate it, work out we're going to take a photo of it. And um, I find when now if I'm in a bus or a train or in a car, and my head's just back all the time, you know, and taking a photo of that. Or um, I've become really frustrated with, with fast travel. So um, for me, walking, it's just having time to absorb, you know, looking, just knowing that I'm coming up to something in my own pace. And uh, that's probably what I love so much about it. I, I think you get another perspective of local life by um, by just walking through these places too. You, you're much closer to the action than you could in, in any other way. So that's, that's another thing that makes walking really special. Yes, yeah, slow tourism. Yeah. I'll tell you something really sweet, Dan. Um, a couple of days ago, you know, I'm, I'm really aware that while we're walking, the Camino is just such a big part of our life while we're walking, and it's still with us when we're doing other things. Um, but I was really struck the other day by how the pilgrims and the Camino are actually every single day for the people of these villages. You know, they're working in their gardens and they have pilgrims walking past them or they might be, you know, working in the bars and whatever. And uh, Michael and I were sitting having uh, a coffee the other morning and uh, an older woman, she had her apron on and she was carrying a, a paper bag with, I think, bread in it. And uh, she came over and she sort of said to us, you know, are you going to Santiago? We said yes. And she gave me two euro to take as a donation to the cathedral when I get there. And so I've got that in my pocket. Um, you know, so, you know, the pilgrims are a part of the life of the local people as well, but it's every day for them. It might be a different pilgrim, but, uh, you know, they, they live the, the Camino every day as well. That's a great story. That's a great story. Look, if I'm going to ask you, Michael, if I could drop you back to one place you visited in the last 12 months, where would it be? Sorry, just say again, Dan. If I could drop you back to one place you've been in the last 12 months, where would it be? I think, um, I think that first day on the Pyrenees for me it was, was the most magical. Um, just it, it was the first day up there. We stopped at Orison on the way up. And then the, the day after Orison, we had wonderful weather after it had poured with rain before and after. Um, overnight, it just um, fined up and we had this wonderful weather with glorious vistas going over it. And, and, and you, you climb up to the top and then you walk across and then you get to the Spanish border and you just step across. It was just... Um, a magical, amazing experience. And I don't know if you could repeat that again by going back there. You'd be lucky to get the same same circumstance on the day, but it was fantastic. Virginia, yeah, and the, the, where can I drop um, you? Come on. You've, been tra well, you've done a lot of travelling. 
Oh, you want to know on the Camino, though, don't you? No, anywhere. Anywhere in the last 12 <laughs> months. You've become a world traveller. Where, where can I drop you? Somewhere in the world. That's like asking who's my favourite child. I mean, <laughs> there are many amazing places. Um, I really loved uh, Lake Atitlan, uh, San Pedro in Guatemala. Uh, probably because I lived with a family there while I was uh, in Spanish school. Uh, but look, Dan, everywhere is wonderful and everywhere is a privilege to be. Um, if you've got health and reasonable weather, um, you can enjoy any part of the world because uh, it's it, that's someone's home that you're visiting. And, uh, yeah, it's all wonderful. So let me just ask you now to finish. What have you learned about yourselves, firstly, in taking a year out to travel, and secondly, sort of becoming pilgrims. What have you learned about yourselves? Mike? Um, look, I, I think we've learned that um, there is a lot more to life than just the, um, the nine to five and um, maybe some aspects of the humdrum, that it's, there's a big world out there and that um, you can do these things. It is possible to unbuckle yourself for a period and you can do it um, cost effectively by by um, like the Camino is a very cost effective way of traveling as is some of the other things that we've done and I, and I think that um, all this is within um, within your reach and you can do it so I, um, I I think that's been a great learning for me so what about for you Gina? yeah I think uh Family is everything. They, they always come first. Uh, that's been brought home to us this year. But having the, the health and the resources to be able to go and experience different things is really, really important. And, yeah, I agree with Michael. It's important to have a good job and to uh, provide for everyone, but uh, it's not the be-all and end-all, and you can actually take time away from that without risking everything. You don't know, be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, you're not just pilgrims, you're poets. <laughs> I've waited a year to conduct this interview and I'm so glad I got to speak to you on the morning that you're walking into Santiago de Compostela for the second time. It's a magic well, place. Just... And you've had such a magic yeah, journey. A <laughs> yeah, it's been fantastic. And just looking out the window, it's a... It's another spectacular, glorious day in Spain and we're really pumped for this walk into Santiago and, um, yeah, we're delighted to, to speak to you this morning, Dan. It was great meeting with you in St John uh, 12 months ago and it's been great chatting to you again today. And we've met up once or twice before, have a beer and, yeah. and we'll do so again. Yeah. You've yeah, had such so. a magic journey and I hope it continues for many, many years to come. Thanks for your time today. Buen Camino. Good luck today walking into Santiago. You, my, my blessings will be with you. My thoughts will be with you and all of my listeners as well. Say so thank you so much. Gracias, Dan. Thank you, Dan. And buen Camino. Buen Camino, my friends. Bye. Bye now. My guests this week, the Australian pilgrims Virginia and Michael Williamson. The American theologian Richard R. Niebuhr said, Pilgrims are poets who create by taking journeys. I could read their poems all day. Thanks for your company this week, every week. Sorry about the audio wobbles. It's unfortunately the tyranny 
of distance. I'm Dan Mullins. Until next week, buen camino.